James chapter 1 this morning. James chapter 1 as we continue in our study of James. Title of the message this morning, Humbly Blessed. Humbly Blessed. Last week we were reminded how God gives wisdom to those who ask for it, if they ask for it in faith, believing they will receive it. I'm so thankful that we have a God who loves us enough and cares for us enough that He doesn't just leave us on our own. Each and every time He allows us to experience a trial, it's another opportunity, another uh, daily uh, opportunity for us to respond with joy. And He says, if you need help getting through those struggles, He said, ask of me wisdom and I will give it to you if you believe and ask in faith. This morning we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. So if you would follow along as I begin reading James 1, verses 9 through 11. The brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation. But the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation. Because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. In this next text of Scripture, we're going to see that James reminds these scattered Jews of a very poignant principle, a tender reminder of their hope in Jesus Christ. And I can, if I could for just a moment this morning, remind all of us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, we have no hope. And so I challenge those of you that are here this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that's the starting point. We have hope. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. If we could, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we've, we've sung songs to You. We've exalted Your name. Lord, we realize as we sang about You are the name above all names. Lord, there is none other. We read in Exodus and in Deuteronomy that You're a jealous God. You alone are worthy. You alone are deserving of our praise. And Lord, I pray that we would not give our praise, that we would not give our exaltation to anyone else or to anything else but You. And I pray, God, this morning that You would speak to our hearts. And Lord, help all of us to internalize this message in such a way that we would realize that despite the, the trials, the frustrations, the, Lord, the less than desirable circumstances of life, we have hope. And I pray, God, that that might be our focus. Not on problems, not on disappointments, not on things, Lord, that we would never pick or choose but on you, Lord, that we might be reminded of the hope that we have. Speak to our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning by reminding ourselves how truly blessed we are to have the privilege of living in America. If you have ever visited a third world country or a country that doesn't have the material wealth that America so richly enjoys, you know exactly what I mean. I've seen the street beggars in the alleys of India. Um, I have seen the unfinished cinder block homes and the homes made of blue tarp roofs and the walls of cardboard and tin in Mexico. 
I've seen Indian children begging for food on the reservations in the north woods of Canada. Um, I have seen children sifting through garbage dumps and waste piles in Africa. As poor as we think we may be, we are truly blessed to have been born in and to have had the opportunity to grow up in America. We are blessed beyond our comprehension. In a moment that we think that we have not what we want, Think about the rest of the 98% of the world who doesn't have what we already have. We are blessed. And as I read, read through James chapter 1, verses 9-11, through 11, I'm reminded of the very real and probable hardships that the scattered Jews must have faced. If we were to put our thinking caps on this morning, we could most likely surmise that a great number of those folks to whom James was writing left everything behind as they were uh, scattered from their homelands. Maybe one could speculate as to how much of their material goods they might have been able to bring along with them as they left. But one thing is probable. Many left everything behind. Remember back in James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Those that were scattered abroad. They were scattered as we looked way back in the beginning as we started this, uh, this series. That they were scattered abroad. The Jews left their homelands. They had to leave. And as they left, I'm sure many of them left everything behind. Some even perhaps were extremely wealthy, but they too left everything behind. It is with this background that I believe James wrote this next text of Scripture. He's talking to those who had to sacrifice in the hurry of leaving. Those who had to leave much of what they had behind in getting out of there. And with this background, James is writing this next text of Scripture. So what then is James saying? So if you would, look with me in verse 9 of our text. The brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation. At this point, these folks were most likely poor. However, James reminds them that even in their poverty, in their humble circumstances, is literally what it's talking about here. In James 1, 9, says, the brother of humble circumstances. In other words, in what they would most likely uh, be experiencing was poverty. So even in their poverty, in their humble circumstances, they were to boast. And that word boast literally means to glory or rejoice in their exaltation. And the word exaltation has the idea of the fact that they are exalted in God's eyes. See, from our perspective, it's hard to see the real circumstances sometimes, isn't it? In our eyes, we look out at everything that has taken place and we say, man, woe is me. Pity party me. And we want to have a, a, the, 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 the consolation and the encouragement of those around us because of the difficult situation that we think we're in. And James reminds them, wait a minute. Even in your humble circumstances, we kind of read through this verse and we say, well, that's just not much different than what he said way back in the beginning in verse 2. Consider it great joy. And now he's talking to people who have been dispersed from their homeland and he's saying the second time, even in your 
humble circumstances. They were to boast or literally glory and rejoice in their exaltation. The fact that they were exalted in God's eyes. Wow. Think about that. Exalted in God's eyes. Literally what that exaltation word means there. Those words alone might have cut deep to the ones who were listening. I mean, when we're going through it, we don't want to hear, oh, buck up. That was a phrase that my youth pastor used to tell me. I look at my background, I look at my home life, I look at everything that I had to go through, and I, there were a couple times I just wanted to have a pity party. My dad, most of the time growing up, was in the hospital. He had 19 back operations. He had toe amputation, led to a foot amputation, led to a leg amputation. He had five bad pass heart surgery. He had kidney failure. My dad went through everything. And what was me having a little pity party? He's like, why did I have to be born into this home? And my youth pastor would look at me and say, buck up, Todd. No one promised you an easy life. Not the words I wanted to hear. Not exactly what I wanted to hear from my youth pastor. I wanted to hear, oh, it'll be all right, Ken. You're right. You know, it's difficult. It's hard. He'd say, buck up. Be a man. I did not want to hear that. And I can only imagine that James, as he's talking to these scattered Jews, in your humble circumstances, glory to God. I'm sure those words might have cut deep. But listen, on the flip side of that coin, what's he saying? There's hope. There's hope. Because everything that we experience in this life is just nothing compared to the life that is to follow. This is temporary. Heaven is eternal. Look at these verses here. In the world to come, you will have everything that God has planned for you. You may not have it now, but listen, according to the world's standards, you might not have much. According to many people, you may be lower than a snake's belly. According to the upper echelon, you may not be royalty. According to the wealthy of the world, you may have nothing by comparison. But according to God, you have been exalted. This is not our home. And this is the reminder that James is giving to these folks. This is not our home. We've said it many times. God's Word uses many interesting words to describe this point. He said, you're aliens. That's right. Uh, you know, you're not getting on board a UFO or anything, but he said, you are aliens. In other words, you are strangers in a foreign land. This is not your permanent residence. You're pilgrims on a journey passing through this life. We have so much more to look forward to. And in the world to come, you have everything that God has planned for you. Just for a moment this morning, take your Bibles. We're going to look at a couple passages here. 1 Peter chapter 1. There's the first one I want you to look at and be reminded of. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, says this, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a what? Living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials. Sound familiar? Everything that he was talking about is being reinforced in 1 Peter, telling us, wait a minute, we have a living hope. This is only temporary. And all the benefits that come with it, Listen, I, I love this. Verse 4, And into an inheritance that is imperishable. What's that? No, it's not going to end. Uncorrupted. Nothing has defiled it. Unfading, still vibrant, right there in front of us. Kept in heaven for you. Protected by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed. In verse 6, you rejoice in this. Though now for a short time you have had to struggle... What's he saying? It's temporary. Everything is temporary. Go over a couple of pages to 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1, it says this. What is right has been born of him. Look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. But look at the end of the verse. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him as He is, and everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself even as He is pure. Think about that. Once again, it's a reminder of this life is only temporary. It's not forever. And the struggles and the trials and the disappointments and the discouragement you face is only for a season. Matthew chapter 5. A very familiar passage here. Matthew chapter 5. I want to look at just a couple of verses. First of all, verse 3. says, The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 5, the gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Think about this. Once again, what we have here with the right attitude and the right spirit, God will exalt one day in heaven. And then Romans chapter 8. And verses 16 through 18. Verse 16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. What's he saying here? Everything that James is saying is being reinforced other biblical principles, that this is just temporary. And so he says, listen, in our pity party, we may think that everything's been taken away. We go through struggles, we go through disappointments, we go through trials, we go through discouragement. But wait a minute, in God's eyes, you are exalted because your wealth is not of this world. You may have left your homeland, but that's not really your home anyway. The bottom line is your home is in heaven. 
So you really do have it good. From the believer's view, Paul stated the correct position that we are to have as believers. It's not about what we had. It's not about what we have. It's not about what we will have. It's all about finding our hope in Jesus Christ. Finding our hope in what is to come, not as what, not what we're experiencing right here and now. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4 just for a moment. Let's be reminded of the correct position that we're to have. In Philippians chapter 4, in verse 10, it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but I lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I wonder if we can all say that. See, sometimes we're kind of like those Jews that were dispersed. We look at what we once had, and we kind of look at where we're at, and we say, it's not getting any better. It's because our eyes are on the perishable, the temporary, the things of this earth, rather than the earth or the, the world to come, which is heaven for us as believers. And sometimes we get it all mixed up. It's all about what we get now and how we can enjoy life now and how we can be pleasured with the things that we enjoy now. And he says, it's not about that. Paul says, I've learned. I don't know about you, but that's a difficult lesson to learn. Because everything on TV tells you that you need this to make life better. And if you just have one of those, I mean, that ride to work will be so much better. I mean, it blocks out all the noise on the outside. You don't hear wind. I mean, this car will just make that, man, just working there would be so much better if I could just drive there in this vehicle. And by the way, I'm still waiting for one person that I meet that wakes up Christmas morning and finds a big bow on a car outside their window. If you know anybody that happens to, let me know, because that'd be the first time. But you know, that's what the world wants us to believe. That it's all in getting this and getting that and having this and having that. That's not where it's at. Paul says, I've learned to be content. Even if God takes it all away, even if he never gives it to me. This life is temporary. So he says in our text there in James 1.9, the brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation. He should find his pleasure in the fact that God says you'll be exalted one day. Then James presents the other side of the coin. Addressing the wealthy concerning their wealth. Look at verses 10 and 11. Verse 10, he says this, But the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation. I mean, he tells the, those who have, who have not to, wait a minute, get a right perspective. It's not about what you don't have. It's about the fact that you're going to rejoice in heaven one day. There's hope. But now those of you that have it, you need to have a right perspective as well. Look what he says. To boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. The wealthy must be on guard as well. As fast as they have accumulated their wealth, it could be gone. Some of you experienced that a few years back when the stock market went belly up. I know people who lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're one day, gone the next. And all of a sudden, life takes on a whole new perspective. 
where I was once confident that I could exist and survive, now I'm back into a place of, oh, wait a minute, it's not gone. God has given me a new, fresh opportunity to trust him afresh and anew. You see, it's all in the perspective. I can say it's gone, or I can say God has given me a new opportunity to trust him again. You see, sometimes we want to trust in what we know we have, or what we think we have. So the wealthy must be on guard as well. As fast as you thought it would be there, it could be gone. But look what he says here. But the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation. His humility. And the fact that everything that we have is from who? God. And if it weren't not for God, you would have nothing. So we need to have a right perspective about wealth as well. In fact, First Peter reminds us, in fact, over and over throughout the, throughout the Scriptures, there are so many verses that talk about this. In First Peter chapter 1 and verse 24, it says this, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You've heard me say that many times. Only two things will stand the test of time. The souls of men and the word of God. Everything else will be tried by fire and found to be unlasting, temporal. And we realize that this life is just for a moment. In fact, Isaiah chapter 40 reminds us again. Almost the same words, a little bit different. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. It says, A voice was saying, Cry out. Another said, What should I cry out? And here's the message. All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. And the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Over and over. Psalms. Chapter 102. Psalm 102. Verse 4 says this, My heart is afflicted, withered like grass, I even forget to eat my food. Verse 11, my days are like lengthening shadow, and I wither away like grass. Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16. says, as for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. What's he saying here? We have a period of time, and if our focus is on enjoying everything that we have in that time, rather than having a right perspective before God, we're going to realize that this is going to pass. And it will pass faster than you can imagine. We looked at one example, how he says life is like grass. We know what happens to the grass. For a season it grows, it's cut, it grows, it's cut, and then all of a sudden the next season it doesn't grow. It's gone. Turns brown, it withers. Just like a flower, it's there for a little while, it blooms, it's pretty, it's gorgeous to look at. And then the season change and it's gone. It's no longer. It's nothing. Scripture goes on and tells us so many other passages that talk about man 
what man's life is compared to. James 4 says, what is your life? It is even as a what? Vapor. We all know what a water vapor is. As fast as you can imagine a gust of wind on a lakeshore making your face a little damp, the next gust of wind, it's dry. Gone. Second Chronicles tells us our life is but a shadow. Psalm tells us our life, along with Job, tells us our life is as but dust. Over and over. Psalm tells us our life is like smoke that goes up into the sky. It's kind of like that fire. You build that fire and the smoke goes up and then it dissipates. You don't see it anymore. That's how short our life is. And if our life is all wrapped up in the things that we can accumulate, we have a wrong perspective. At the end of the day, neither poverty nor wealth makes one better. Ultimately, our trust is to be in Jesus Christ for our daily provision and protection. So that's why he says here in our passage, it's not about what you have. It's not about what you think you can get. It's not about what you used to have. It's daily trusting God for what he wants you to have and what you need. It's a daily perspective. Here's what he says. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and dries up the grass. Its flowers fall off, and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will either will wither away while pursuing his activities. If it's all about what I can do, we're missing the real point, and you haven't lived anyway. Not according to God's eyes. Think about this. Four things I want you to consider. What good is wealth after a loved one has just died? What does it matter? When someone dies that you love and are close to, what matter does it make? What difference does it make whether or not you have money? See, sorrow comes regardless. What good is wealth after hearing you have three months to live? All the money in the world can't buy you life. All the money in the world can't pay for a remedy. If you've been told you have three months to live, what matter does it, What difference does it make? How does it matter? It doesn't. What good is wealth if you are wrongfully imprisoned? And there's no changing the result. All the wealth in the world won't let you take a trip. No cruises. No vacation sitting behind a cell. What difference does wealth make? What good is wealth if you have no one to share it with? It's no value. It's a lonely life with a padded bank account. I like what John MacArthur says. He makes a statement. Wealth does not bring God closer, nor does poverty keep him farther away. It's a matter of perspective. And that's why he reminds the brother of humble circumstances... You may think that you don't have anything. You may think that you've left your homeland. You may find yourself without a lot of material goods, but in God's eyes, you are exalted. You have hope. Because it's not about the here and now. You that have money, you that are have wealth, it's not in what you have. You need to be humbled by the fact that it's from God and it can be gone tomorrow. Here's the thing. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. I want you to think about this. 
What God offers to us does not matter one iota whether you are wealthy or whether you're in poverty. Look at verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Did you catch those pronouns in there? Verse 16. Therefore, let us, all of us, the wealthy, those in poverty, equally approach the throne of grace with boldness. So that we, those that are wealthy, those that may be in poverty, equally receive mercy and find grace to help us, those that may be wealthy, those that may be in poverty, equally be helped at the proper time. See, God is not a respecter of persons. And it doesn't matter whether you have or you don't have. The bottom line is, what is our perspective? It's really easy for those that may not have much to say, man, I wish I had everything. I want that, I want that, and i got to have this, and would really like to get that. And it's really easy for the person who has the ability to have this, this, and this to equally have a wrong perspective. Because we all come before God the same. The difference is how we may use it for the Lord's glory. Philippians 4, verse 19 says this, And my God will supply all your needs according to what? His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's where our hope is. That's where our contentment is found. That's where we rest as believers. The fact that God says, I will take care of you. I can't take care of myself with my wealth. And I can't take care of myself in my poverty. My dependency has to be on who? God. Son, Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. And he reminds us here in our text, as fast as you may have it, it could be gone. So once again, putting this into perspective, I used to think as I read through James, you know, just a bunch of scattered thoughts that are unrelated. The more I read it, the more God puts it all together. Consider it joy. Oh, wait a minute. Consider it great joy. My brothers, whenever you experience these trials, down to verse 9, the brother of humble circumstances, consider it great joy that I've had to leave my homeland and now I have nothing? Uh-huh. Because this is really not your homeland either. This is our homeland in heaven one day. Amen? It's not about the here and the now. I want to challenge all of us. There's an old song that said to live with eternity's values in view. That's where our focus must be. If it's here, if it's on the now, if it's on the immediate, if it's on what I can do next, where I can go next, what's he say here? Verse 12, or verse 11. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. 
Because how much is enough? How many trips do I have to go on before I've had my fill? How many things do I have to get before I'm satisfied? How many activities do I need to be a part of before I really feel like I've lived? If that is our focus, it's futile. It's not going to bring lasting joy. So Paul reminds us, or so James reminds us, this is not our home. We are humbly blessed to have the hope of heaven. This is not where it's at. I challenge us all this week to have a heavenly perspective. Not to dwell on the here and the now. Not to make this life our focus. And trust me, I'm preaching to the choir here. We all want stuff. We all look at our stuff and we value it. We all want to be a part of something you know, that will allow us to, to go on for many more years. But the bottom line is, it's every day, in and of itself, trusting God, knowing that He will supply our every need. That's where it's at. See, if I have it all wrapped up to where I can control it, oh God, I got this one under control. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm good, I'm good. I'll let you know when I need you. And neither it is, well, God, why'd you take it away? I had it, and, you know, I mean, I had a guy, I mean, I was all set until this. And that's wrong, too. It's daily saying, God, I surrender today. Today, God, I'm going to trust you for what you want me to have. I'm going to be wise, but my trust is in God, in God alone. Just trust me, it's a struggle, isn't it? We learn that with each passing decade, our perspective changes in life, doesn't it? When you're first starting out in life, you're going through high school and you can't wait for high school graduation, and maybe in college you can't wait for graduation. Why? Because you want to get that job, you want to get life started, and all of a sudden the family comes, and we're always looking for the next thing. At least that's the way I was. Looking for the next thing. We had children, and now the children are getting older, and now the children are graduating, and now the ne- we're always looking to the next thing. Rather than saying, God, I need you today. Today. Don't worry about what you left. Don't worry about what you might have. Today is where we're at. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,